When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're right. This is the 82nd episode of the What If Football podcast. The Champions League semi-finals are back. So, Le Grand Desert Keeps is back. It's April the 27th. We're going to dig in to the 2002-3 season of the Champions League. Real Madrid holders. Can they retain? Can they win it this year? Who knows? Well, let's find out. Let's get stuck in. Yes, we're back on the Sports Social Podcast Network and indeed anywhere else you get your podcasts every single Wednesday with Nostalgic Podcasts delivering you nostalgia from the Champions League and from the Premier League, of course, as well as some obscurities chucked in there or thereabouts. And if you do like Nostalgic Podcasts, feel free to head over to our Patreon page for just £1 a month. That is patreon.com forward slash whatifootball where we... Pit teams, pit players, head-to-head in head-to-head podcast, combined 11 podcasts. We take a look at some great games, some great seasons in the Great Games podcast every Tuesday, the Story of My Season podcast too. And our bread and butter here on What If Football is What If Scenarios, of course, as well, which are on YouTube every day. But also on Patreon, we've got a quick-fire mailbag most Thursdays, and if not, some football manager stuff, as well as taking a look at contemporary football with football articles Monday and Friday, reviewing, previewing, doing anything you would like me to do on uh, on the crazy world of modern football. But this is not modern football. This is 2002. Yes, we are here still with two group stages in the Champions League. It's nearly over. It's nearly over the two group stages. We'll be back next time with that one. But for now, we've got Two sets of group stages, and we'll start off with the holders in 2002. We've got Real Madrid in Group C alongside Roma, AEK Athens and Genk. Of course, Real Madrid being 2002, we are midway through, or probably yeah, midway through the Galacticos spell. We've already had Luis Figo be snatched from the jaws of Barcelona off the back of a presidential promise from Perez in 2000. We've had... Figo come in, we've had uh, Zinedine Zidane join him as well. We've got Ronaldo now, he's there of course. He signed from Inter Milan after quite the World Cup. I don't know if you remember it, 2002, bagged eight goals anyway. Roma are, it seems like Roma are always in a group with Real Madrid around this time. Roma, they got slightly found out last time. They were champions of Italy going into that Champions League and not so much anymore and they started the Champions League campaign in 2001 the same way they do here as well a home defeat to Real Madrid although this time the defeat's a bit more comprehensive Real Madrid looked tons better in this group they beat Genk 6-0 and then drew twice against AEK Athens but um, then again 
everyone drew with AK Athens. This is this season. I think it's still unrepeated where AK Athens drew all of their group games, literally all of them. We've seen a couple of teams, fair few, um, Juventus in 98-99, who won their final group game to uh, win one and draw five and somehow still qualify. Um, but this is, uh, to my knowledge at least, the only team that has drawn every single group game in a Champions League season. That may have happened in the Europa League. I don't think it has done. Um, not in the six-game phase. It was that weird little phase where there was five teams and four games per group but uh, I don't think it's ever happened it's not likely to happen since really especially to AK Athens who I presume judging by the teams in this group we're in pot three um, for a pot three team to do it incredible um, to draw twice against Real Madrid as well which is just uh, incredible they, they had to save that incredible record though a couple of times Canteno scored a late equaliser at the Bernabeu did so at the Olympico as well and in that final match day Roma needed a point They're playing AK Athens they knew they were going to give it them <laughs> and uh, Roma's point was enough to send them through and of course AK Athens with six points from six games zero goal difference of course six draws they were always going to have a bit of a uphill struggle getting into the uh, getting into the second group phase Real Madrid cruised really through although they finished on nine points but they really did cruise into the uh, into the second group phase. Francesco Totti scoring in a win at the Bernabeu as well, but by that point, it didn't really matter. Real Madrid were home and hosed. A drawing genk was uh, enough for top spot, as it were, on nine points, funnily enough. Group G is probably the group of death, I'd say, as we move through. AC Milan, Deportivo, Lons, and Bayern Munich as well. So you've got three teams in there, and Lons, Lons to be fair, Decent enough in France. Milan was back finally being represented. Milan were back. Ancelotti was back in the Champions League as well. Uh, Bayern Munich still smarting over another exit to Real Madrid, this time in the quarterfinals. Um, Deportivo, we had a, a lot of coverage on them the last Le Grande Equipes episode. They've gone from strength to strength still, obviously, in the not-too-distant past Spanish champions. Got to the Champions League quarterfinals as well. And um, in the very first game, Roy Mackay... Puts the cat firmly upon them on the pigeons and Bayern Munich are beaten 3-2. Although Deportivo would get um, outclassed by Milan and Milan were really riding on the coattails of Pippo Inzaghi. He was scoring by the bucket load. Um, Depot would trade wins with Lons, three ones. And Lons really got into the UEFA Cup at Bayern Munich's expense, really, after a shock win at home to uh, at home to Milan. But by that point, Milan won their first four games. They'd qualified, they qualified pretty much in first, all but guaranteed after four games. So the um, the likes of Diego Tristan, Roy Mackay, they needed to get the win more than Milan did at the San Siro. And probably what's more shocking, even though Bayern Munich, yeah, they didn't qualify, maybe entering a bit of a, a, a gloomy spell for the German champions. Although not at this point, it was Dortmund. But um, they didn't even win a single game. They got points against Lons in two draws. So it's 3-3 draw against Lons. Quite ridiculous game. Sums up Bayern's season in the Champions League, really. Goalkeeping errors everywhere from both teams. Own goal chucked in there as well. And somehow Lons snuck a late leveller. And um, Bayern have still got... Giovanni Elbe, still Claudio Pizarro, Roque, Santa Cruz on the other end of that scale, perhaps a bit too young to carry the team. So Bayern are potentially in that sort of halfway house, really, of um, not enough really tenured, young enough in their peak performers. And 
saviors of Paolo, Sergio, Stefan Effenberg, Giovanni, Elber, Cast and Janka. Um, days gone by, by, by even by this point in, uh, in late 2002. Group D, uh, Milan returns again. Um, it continues with Inter Milan, but they were obviously without Ronaldo now. Um, his replacement is Hernan Crespo. And in a group with Inter Milan, we've got Ajax, we've got Leon and Rosenborg. Now, this is a pretty tricky group as well. Ajax, obviously on their day, can beat anyone. Um, recent, in the prior decade, they've been European champions. Leon are a resurgent force, and we all know about Rosenborg, although they've gone a bit off the boil in the past few years. Anyway, Inter Milan, they've replaced Ronaldo with Hernan Crespo, and he's got three goals Um to earn them their first four points in the first two games. And uh, after their two battles with Leon, where they lose at home um, and draw 3-3 away, a bit of a fight and the, the group is really condensed. And it seemed as though 2002-3 is Leon's breakout year. They'd won the league and title a couple of times by this point. They've done, well, they qualified in the Champions League, but never got through to a, a knockout phase. They've got match day five at home to Ajax, a chance to seal qualification finally to another another group phase, but in the end lose two goals from Steven Pienaar, Rafa van der Vaart as well. And Ajax now with, with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, they've got the opposite problem of Bayern Munich. They've got loads and loads and loads of young players coming through. He, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, that is, scores a double in a 2-1 win over Leon as well. And that really is the, the separate between Ajax and Leon. Ajax going through alongside Inter Milan. Um, Leon, who had to beat Rosenborg to qualify, they go out with Rosenborg. And that is because of the main man for Rosenborg. He's back, Harold Bratback. He's Bratback. And um, that means that Leon <laughs> that means that Leon have to go into the UEFA Cup and the curse of Rosenborg really strikes again. And we'll see a bit more of Rosenborg. They're not quite going to peter out just yet, but... Uh, the legendary names of Sigurd Rushfeldt, Harold Bratback are not long for this world. Um, we'll move through the uh, first group phase. Now with Group H, Barcelona, Locomotive Moscow, Club Bruges and Galatasaray. Barcelona, they, they did attempt to hijack the Ronaldo bid of Real Madrid from Inter Milan, whether or not they wanted to actually have him back at the club or whether they just wanted to sabotage Real Madrid. Is, um, isn't, isn't, you know, it's just the classical rivalry, isn't it? Rolled into... Uh, a nutshell there. Um, LVG, Louis van Hal, he was back in black, back in the hot seat and uh, really did look out on this group, really. Um, you've got Galatasaray in there who are probably famous for, for having quite the thought at home in, in European competition especially, but their powers are on the win. They finished last here. They did um, they get a nice win away at Lokomotiv Moscow, which should have inferred really that Galatasaray, with their good home form, should have should have sailed through and they do usually get their points at home and they only gathered one other point and that was against Club Bruges. Meanwhile, Barcelona completed. We said the AEK Athens feat was rare of drawing six games. Barcelona by this point in 2002-3, completing a rare 100% record. He only likes a Spartak Moscow in the mid-90s and a few other teams that I'm struggling to mention off the top of my head have completed a six wins from six. Um, record and that's incredible really when you consider that Barcelona kind of in a low ebb really having to coax Louis van Gaal back to the to the hot seat really and in terms of Lokomotiv Moscow they joined them in the second group phase somehow they'd done nothing really all group fourth match day comes they got a nil nil in Bruges and then in the final two match days they sneak they sneak wins it's not a late win at Istanbul they beat Bruges 2-0 in Moscow. Um, so that two that nil-nil in Bruges, sorry, was a match day two rather. And 
in that game against Bruges in Moscow, match day six, probably why um, UEFA moved to stop Russian teams playing on match day six and so late in the group phase because you just cannot see a single thing. Obviously, snow, heavy snow, Club Bruges players, obviously not accustomed to it, didn't stand a chance. And Lokomotiv Moscow, with two wins from the final two games, is enough to qualify on seven points, whilst Bruges on five points, Galatasaray on four, with bye-bye to the Champions League once again. We've got a reunion of sorts in Group F. We've got Manchester United meeting Bayer Leverkusen again, who, of course, previously met in the 2001-2 semi-final. Although it's much change in Leverkusen, they'd lost their prize asset. The two best players, in my opinion, Zeriberto and Michael Ballack. Maybe Lucio um, you could um, make a case for as well. But Zeriberto and Michael Ballack, in terms of their attacking initiative, wiped from them and obviously goes to their... Uh, their greatest rivals, really, in, in Bayern Munich. And uh, Manchester United beat Leverkusen 2-0 very, very, very comfortably at home. And this was my first ever Champions League game, my first ever Man United game, actually. And um, the win against Leverkusen was was ridiculously easy. And um, after that Leverkusen win, qualification was sealed. Van Nistelrooy in the goals as ever. Juan Seba Veron actually chipping in as well, trying to get his Man United career off the ground, which hadn't really... Uh, done so and wouldn't by by the end of it really and uh, just as Galatasaray's powers were on the wane and finishing fourth in a group Olympiacos as were but um, surprisingly put six beyond Leverkusen in a bit of a well it's a bit of an outlier really and um, Leverkusen would join Manchester United by recovering to win uh, win over Maccabi Haifa doing the double over them and and that win essentially winning the head-to-head -head over Maccabi Haifa in third puts them into the uh, into the last the last 16 rather where they would join Newcastle and Juventus who um, who both qualified from group E Juventus were back they were Italian champions again they had Marcello Lippi still and uh, faced the likes of Newcastle United who are just happy to be there really revitalized under Sir Bobby Robson after the the spells of Kenny Dalglish Rude Hullet and they were faced with a bit of a tough group, Feyenoord reigning Europa League or UEFA Cup champions. Dynamo Kiev, although by this point have lost their main talisman, really, of Shevchenko and Rebrov. And it took Newcastle until the fourth match day to get a win on the board. Andy Griffin, of course, it was, um, getting the memorable winner against Juventus at home. By this point, Juventus had um, racked up enough points to be already thinking about the second group phase. But for Newcastle, the work was not done there. Alan Shearer gets um, another win on the board through a penalty against Dynamo Kiev and then an absolutely mad game in Rotterdam. Perhaps Newcastle's greatest Champions League match in their history, really, at least the most memorable. They go 2-0 up. They need a win to qualify, essentially. They're in third place behind the likes of uh, behind Juventus and uh, Feyenoord, it was. And uh, they bottle it, essentially. They go 2-0 up, back to 2-2. And then Craig Bellamy sneaks in, fires a shot at the goalkeeper and it just sneaks in at the last minute and uh, Newcastle win 3-2 and they are in the hat for the last 16. And other English interests joining them, we've got in Group A, Arsenal, we've got Group B, Liverpool. Now, Arsenal were seemingly back. They were double winners. They got the likes of Borussia Dortmund, UEFA Cup finalist, Auxerre and PSV. Um, to be fair, it's a pretty strong group that, considering Dortmund are the German champions, Auxerre, whilst not French champions, decent enough decent enough team. And PSV, as we all know around this time, had lost Ruud van Nistelrooy, but still, still posed a bit of a threat. Uh, meanwhile, Arsenal... Although they've been very, very, very good domestically, their crux was really in Europe. They'd not really done anything in Europe under Wenger. 
got to a quarter final of the Champions League, obviously lost the UEFA Cup final to Galatasaray in 2000, but here they get off to the possible best possible start. Seven goals, zero conceded, nine points from nine. Um, but then in the in in the game that was probably marked as if there was an easiest game of the group, Auxerre at home, um, they went down in two, in no time really, and, and lost by two goals and... They were all but through. They had a five-point advantage over Auxerre in third, but then Thomas Rosicki gets two goals in Dortmund over them. And it does to put Dortmund above Arsenal and also in the head-to-head stakes as well. But thankfully for Arsenal, Auxerre's 3-0 loss in Eindhoven on that match day of five. And um, that puts them through into the last 16. Ben Jani, of course. Who else? <laughs> and the uh, future Portsmouth and Man City as well. Uh, talisman. Um Winner for Ogsair there, and uh, and an Arsenal nil-nil draw puts them top just ahead of Dortmund, and uh, joining them, it makes it up four from four in terms of English interest in the last sixteen. Liverpool go through their back. Well, they're not back, are they? <laughs> we'll see why. Valencia, they were back under Rafa Benitez after a year away. Liverpool were looking. To go one better than last year's quarter-final, of course, where they lost to Bayer Leverkusen and FC Basel. Nobody gave them a shot at all. Never been in the Champions League group phase before. Spartak Moscow, they'd had their heyday in the mid-90s. They were the most recent heyday anyway. Um, nobody gave them a shot either. So it's, it was supposed to be Valencia comfortably through, Liverpool comfortably through. Valencia started off perfectly. 11 goals, scored three wins from three, almost in the hat for the last 16. It'd take a miracle for them not to go through. And... Liverpool, meanwhile, they'd picked up their slow start. They'd, they'd thrashed Spartak Moscow 5-0. Um, Michael Owen scores a hat-trick in Moscow. And uh, Liverpool are two points ahead of Basel. But match day five would be the turning point at Anfield. Valencia, Rafael Benitez in his first match, I believe, at Anfield, it must be, um, takes the spoils. And Liverpool now have to go to Switzerland to play Basel. And um, they need a result in Basel. The, they go to Switzerland, proceed to go 3-0 down in 30 minutes. And then you have one of the, well, almost all-time greatest comebacks in Champions League group stage history. Um, fast forward two more years and you probably would get that in terms of a Liverpool sense in a group game anyway. Danny Murphy gets the ball rolling for Liverpool after the hour. Vladimir Schmitzer scores from close range. And Michael Owen stabs one in five minutes from time. 3-0 down at half-time, 3-3, where we'll hear that again on this podcast soon, in a few weeks. But for Liverpool, they can't find the fourth that they need to go through, and Liverpool are the odd ones out in terms of English interest in the second group phase. The second group phase, of course, which is in its last hurrah, really. It, it does bring about some entertaining groups. So, for example, look at the, the, the four groups we've got here. AC Milan, Real Madrid, Borussia Dortmund, Lokomotiv, Moscow. Huge group there. You've got Man United and Juventus lumped in with each other. Barcelona and Milan lumped in with each other. Ajax, Valencia, Roma and Valencia. A bit of a toss of a coin group there. You get some entertaining groups. Most part, they are very, very close. And it's almost as if this 16-team tournament was for the best, really. But playing six games to reach that 16-team tournament and potentially couple more we qualifiers, maybe a handful as well if you're from a from a lower coefficient nation as it were you do have entertaining football but you have players that are absolutely exhausted by the end of the season it just didn't work 
for players adding six more games to the schedule. You have to win 17 games to win the Champions League. But, and obviously it was it was ruled that really after probably the quickest format change in history by UEFA, I think it was in place for four seasons, was it? So three or four seasons, um, and then UEFA climbed down from that. But obviously in a couple of years, 2024, we'll see a return to teams having to win 17 games in order to win the Champions League at an absolute minimum as well with 36 teams playing 10 group games and then obviously last 16 quarterfinals, semifinals, final. But let's say you're Ajax and you have to qualify for the Champions League. So you've got two qualifiers, maybe even four, who knows. But two qualifiers, 10 group games, that's 12. And if you are if you finish between 9th and 24th, you entered into a knockout playoff round and obviously go through that, go through to the final, win it or whatever. That's 21 games to win the Champions League if you're an Ajax team who got quite close in 2019, didn't it? So it's not completely out of the question. Benfica, Villarreal, teams like that who are getting quite close this year, got quite close this year. It's just not feasible and hopefully UEFA sees sense just like they did in 2003. But um, the sport is very, very, very different to what it was around this time and we'll see how different it was when we had a look at the second group phase and we have a look at the knockout round of the Champions League after this short break. Welcome back. 32 teams become 16 and we have to play six more games. Yes, it is the final ever second group phase. And if you were a fan of this, let me know. Um, In terms of football, I was. In terms of the overall big picture, player welfare probably not but anyway let's uh, shelve that for the for the time being in group c we had ac milan real madrid in the same group and borussia dortmund absolutely incredible draw um two favorites in ac milan and real madrid really and they go toe to toe andre shevchenko gets the winning goal and ac milan really performed to the absolute extreme italian stereotype one nil in their way to qualification um via the top spot inside four match days which it's something that tends to happen sometimes with certain teams. Germany in 2002's World Cup, Spain in 2010. Not so much in a group phase, especially against teams as good as Real Madrid and Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League as well. Um, you got Pippo Inzaghi continuing his hot streak in Dortmund in a 1-0 win, of course. John Dal Thomason scoring against Lokomotiv Moscow, 1-0 win, of course. Rivaldo in Moscow in a 1-0 win, of course. And it left AC Milan sh- assured of, you know top spot inside four match days because Real Madrid had only gathered five points, Dortmund four, Lokomotiv Moscow one. So they, they, they go off the gas there and Real Madrid are able to really follow them because Real Madrid beat them in the Bernabeu, Raul bagging a double. Um, but Dortmund would push them to the last and um, Real Madrid had to go to Moscow and get something. Um, and it's Ronaldo, fine time for him to get his second goal of the the Champions League thus far, a 1-0 win for Real Madrid in Moscow. And Real Madrid look as though they're still alive in this competition. They will play a quarter-final against the winners of Group D, where we have Juventus, Basel, Deportivo and Manchester United. Another incredible group, especially the way Deportivo have been going about it the past few years. Basel, bit of a surprise package in there as well. Reunions all over the shop here, of course, Manchester United and Juventus. From a bit further back in the uh, the old 1990s, and you think, surely, surely this is the point where Basel fall off. Um, surprisingly enough, Manchester United, pitted with such a strong group, eased their way again through a through a group phase, really. And 
And Basel do what they did to do to Manchester United, what they did to Liverpool, and it's go ahead immediately against um, English opposition in Basel. But where Liverpool toiled to a draw and conceded three goals, Ruud van Nistelrooy was um, having one of the games of his life, really, for Manchester United in a 3-1 win. Um, United exercised some demons against Deportivo, again, um, compounding the quarterfinal win they had over them the previous season. And uh, quite comfortable there, 2-0. And that was the second Manchester United game for me, um, a live experience there. Ruud van Nistelrooy getting both, should have had four. And even Wes Brown scores against Juventus in a 2-1 win. So that's, so that's when you know luck was on your side. And this was when Wes Brown was, before the 2007-8 season when he matured, this was when he was still, obviously, still scoring on goals, still having that sort of clumsy sort of demeanours obviously gleaned from the, the Deportivo games, particularly at Old Trafford the previous season. But then then the sort of the United season sort of gets ripped in two with the FA Cup defeat to Arsenal. Ferguson and Beckham going at it, boot kicked across the uh, the dressing room, hits him in the face, and then obviously that leads to, leads to uh, the rest of David Beckham's career fizzling out at, at, um, at Old Trafford. Ryan Giggs would... Suspiciously spotted, similarly uh, similar bandage above the eyebrow, but um, did so in a masterful performance in Turin. Just as Manchester United's season looked as though it could be derailed, Arsenal still in touch in the uh, in the Premier League. But Ryan Giggs produces a, a a performance for the ages, scoring twice in a three nil win. Fantastic performance from Giggs there. Just when he he as well was recovering from. Um, the embarrassment of the open goal miss against Arsenal some uh, four years on from perhaps the greatest goal he'd ever scored. And with 12 points, it left United a bit like Milan, really. I, I said these, um, before the break, I said these second group phases were close, but Milan had 12 points with a seven-point cushion. Man United went one better after four games, had 12 points, but with an eight-point cushion. Juventus and Deportivo on four, Basel on three. And the biggest game was next. And it wasn't Gary Neville scoring a deflected goal in a 1-1 draw against Basel, which was my third Manchester United Champions League game live. And it, was, uh, it wasn't that, no. It was Deportivo going toe-to-toe. It was 2-2 from the first game. It was 2-2 in the second game until 90th minute. How often do we see this from Juventus? I got Tudor last-minute goal, saving Juventus's skin. And it sees Juventus really... Although the, the final group picture will tell you United had 13 points, Juve, Deportivo and Basel all had seven. But Juventus with the head-to-head over Deportivo, Deportivo couldn't qualify. Juventus had um, a four-goal head-to-head advantage over Basel going into the uh, into the match day six there. So, I mean, Basel had produced miracles this season, but they couldn't perform a miraculous win of five goal proportions over one of the biggest teams that Europe's ever seen, the sport's ever seen. And uh, it was only 2-1 to Basel and Juventus qualify safely enough. Although although looking back in, in the numbers and the history books, it doesn't look too safe, but it, it, it was all but assured with one match day to go. And in the second half, or rather the first half of the second group phase, we've got group A and B, Barcelona, Inter Milan, Newcastle and Bayer Leverkusen. Really, a group full of dark horses. Barcelona, although they absolutely decimated decimated the competition in the first group phase and um, they'd levelled out a little bit, really. Um, they'd sacked Louis van Gaal between the 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 f- first two matches of the second group phase and the, uh, the, the remaining four, because obviously they were split 
either side of Christmas. Meanwhile, Leverkusen, they hadn't lived up to the 2002 expectations, of course, reached the Champions League final. Um, they would go on to lose all six games in this in this group phase, which means it only takes Newcastle three matches to get on the board in terms of a winning term instead of four from the previous round. It really did their head-to-head no good. They're coming up against bigger teams as well in this second group phase. Barcelona and Inter Milan, they lose 4-1 at home to win and they lose 3-1 at the camp now. And so if it finishes level, Newcastle are pretty much dead in the water there. Craig Bellamy catches a lot of flack really for the lax way he stands on the post in a, a defeat to uh, Barcelona. I seem to remember he's just sort of propping himself up and it just goes past him. Meanwhile, Barcelona, even though they've got the tumultuous sacking of Louis van Gaal, they turned their six group phase wins from the from before Christmas into three straight in the second phase, and they're all but through. And meanwhile, after the with two match days to go, you've got Newcastle and Inter Milan, seven plays six, and it's, it's still in Newcastle's hands. They just need to win in the San Siro. Um, Alan Shearer scores a double, but it's of course none other than Ivan Cordoba equalising for Inter Milan, who periodically just chip in with very crucial goals in Champions League and Serie A games. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. They did still have a chance, although Leverkusen had been absolutely an abomination, let's be honest. Um, they had not won a point, they would not won a game. They had Inter Milan coming up in the match day six. Pressure off, you might say, but um, Newcastle still had to go and beat Barcelona at home. Neither happened, so... That is the the sad, sad story of of Newcastle's time in the Champions League coming to an end. Of course, we won't be discussing it next time um, in the Grandes Equipes because they they do qualify for the Champions League, but they get knocked out of the playoffs, unfortunately, um, losing to Partizan Belgrade on the the penalty shootout. So this is up until, well, until the inevitable qualification for the Champions League, which which will follow the, the stream of money. Um, will follow some time you've got to predict in the next decade or so, certainly in the 2020s. This is the last time that we will see Newcastle in the Champions League until then. And it is that game against Barcelona at St. James's Park. Who knows, maybe it will mirror their very first game back in the Champions League, may well be part of that Swiss model against Barcelona. Who knows? Who rightly knows? Anyway, now the final group stage games, Valencia, Roma, Ajax, Arsenal, another... To be fair, like Group A, another group of dark horses, at least in a Champions League sense. Arsenal were still expectant, um, going for a double again, as we mentioned earlier, by beating Manchester United in the FA Cup. They were now favourites, probably favourites again to win the Premier League. And um, there were a grand total, across all four teams, a grand total of four wins in this group. And um, Thierry Henry's hat-trick in Rome should have been the perfect start. Roma not starting the group stage well, like they didn't start it in the previous two seasons in the Champions League. You've got Ajax not able to get over the line against Valencia and Ajax in three successive draws and Roma only managed their win away in the Mestalla and just their first point. So by match day four, you've got a group which looks 
a disgrace, to be honest. After four games, this is Ajax on six points, Arsenal on six points as well, and Valencia on five and Roma on three. All of them could still qualify. Obviously, there's draws all over the shop, which which would put Arsenal and Ajax through. Roma and Ajax upholding their end of the bargain. But John Carew ruins it for Arsenal, let's be honest, um, by scoring a winner for Valencia, which means at the death, Valencia nick that win. Valencia go through, Ajax join them, and in bidding goodbye to the group stages of the second group stages, thankfully, we can now plough on with the quarterfinals where Milan meet Ajax, a 1995 reunion, and the first leg is drawn in Amsterdam. You've got um, Littmanen, Yari Littmanen, Stephen Pienaar getting vital away goals in the San Siro, which leaves Milan on the cusp of exiting the tournament. 2-2 draw, as it were. Well, as though it was edging towards that. But John Dal Thomason, 91st minute goal. We spoke about the propensity of Juventus to get these late goals that see them through group phases. Milan here, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. A superb advert for the away goals rule, really, where you can go from winning to losing. There's not really anything like that in in football that does that, but for the away goals, at least in a in a standalone game, obviously you've got certain certain historical games like Anfield '89 that could have done that, but uh, but this is one of the few instances where winning and losing in terms of going through and being eliminated can be boiled down to just one goal. Inter Milan played Valencia in the other part of this half of the draw. Christian Vieri, Inter had a glut of strikers. Christian Vieri was one of them. He gives Inter the advantage going back to Valencia with a 1-0 win and then scores the away goal inside the fifth minute. And again, speaking of away goals, just hampers Valencia immediately. And uh, Valencia, they need three goals. Pablo Aymar, Ruben Baraya, they score the goals, but they could only manage two. And essentially, away goals... Well, let's put it this way. The away goals rule um, comes down to the Milan derby in the semi-final as well, which for me, this should be a special dispensation really for a a derby, which away goals was essentially born out of the fact that um, travel was very difficult, very limited. Scouting was very difficult to uh, to commit to in the 1950s as well. Say, for example, you're playing a Spartak Tanava and you're Celtic, for example. I don't even know if that match took place, but you cannot scout that opposition. It's very difficult to get from Glasgow into the Soviet Union in the 50s and 60s. Here you've got AC Milan, Inter Milan, housemates, essentially, in 2003. The away goals rule, <laughs> for those reasons, it was brought into the world shouldn't be in effect by now at this point anyway, if you're that way inclined. For the drama, it's it's probably a good thing for the integrity of the sport. It probably should be uh, abolished, as it has been now. But for the, for the reasons it was brought in, there was no way that two teams sharing a ground, like, for example, if Lazio played Roma, it should never, ever be enforced. It's nil-nil at the San Siro. Whose home leg is it? It was Milan's, apparently. And then... Um, Andrei Shevchenko finds an away goal at the San Siro in Inter Milan's home leg. And Obafemi Martin scores late. It's 1-1, but Milan go through. I don't know, obviously, the allocations of tickets would be predominantly given to Inter Milan fans, although you'd hope um, for the second leg when it's Inter Milan's quote-unquote home leg. 
but it's just a travesty really and uh, it should have been obviously it's too forward thinking really to expect special treatment for for all but one-off events i mean we would see inter milan and um inter and milan face off again somewhere down the line in terms of champions league didn't go to away goals there thankfully but it very rarely happens in knockout stage football where ground sharing teams will uh, will meet one another and of course around when the away goals rule was was created there was very little all same nation games very very few chances obviously unless you are a the European Cup holder playing the, the, the league winner. So, for example, Real Madrid met Barcelona in the 1960 semi-final. Very few instances of that up until, obviously, when... By this point, we've got four teams from the greatest um, nations in Spain, um, Germany, Italy and England. And um, joining Milan could be an Italian team. But the, the final, the real final, really, was, it was seen... Well, the final was at Old Trafford, but the real final was at Old Trafford too in the quarterfinals, if you listen to any press from Madrid or Manchester. Um, Real Madrid were coming into the second leg against Man United in the quarterfinals off the back of an outclassing in the first leg. Luis Figo was incredible. Um, Raul scored and uh, Real Madrid won 3-1, where three years prior in the same stage, it was a nil-nil draw against Man United, who were treble champions and Real Madrid were gone to win the trophy. Ronaldo then has a, a match of his life. He's got a hat-trick at Old Trafford. He's applauded off quite rightly by the uh, the Man United supporters. But probably the, the new, other, other newsworthy story, I guess, was David Beckham and his continued, um, continued residence on the substitutions bench. He comes on when Man United are 3-2 down on the night. Real Madrid is quietly in the background courting him and Peter Kenyon's looking to offload him. Alex Ferguson is too. And... Um, Beckham comes on, scores two goals to uh, make it 4-3 on the night, but ultimately, of course, they lose 6-5 on aggregate when they needed four goals in the last few minutes when Beckham was on the pitch. And that game really set the wheels in motion for Beckham going to Real Madrid. Also, little side note, changed the football, changed the sport forever, really, because it confirmed Roman Abramovich's interest in buying a football club and obviously the finances that we could do a whole podcast on that. Maybe we will do in the future, but the other game from that half of the draw was Juventus versus Barcelona. Barcelona looked pretty set to make the to make another semi final against Real Madrid as they had done in two thousand. Um, but it was Javier Saviola scoring a late away goal equaliser. But it was Pavel Nedved who was probably the most crucial player of this entire tournament, and of course won the Ballon d'Or for his. Um, for his performances in the Champions League, really crucial as ever. He equaled the uh, the away goal. Xavi took the game to extra time in the second leg, but it's Marcelo Zalieta, of, of, of all players, to score an extra time to kill Barcelona's chances. Barcelona lose one game of Champions League football, and this is their 14th game of Champions League football, unless they played in the qualifiers, of course, which I should have researched, but didn't. So it's their 14th or 16th at the absolute push. Game of Champions League football, they lose one and they're out. The old European Cup spirit is alive and well in this one. So Juventus go on to play Real Madrid. They get another away goal, David Trezeguet, um, this time in defeat. And um, Trezeguet puts Juventus through inside, um, ahead inside 12 minutes in the return leg. Del Piero, Pavel Nedved scores his third goal. And it's probably 
probably his best career performance in a Juventus shirt, at least. They win 3-1. They win 4-3 on aggregate. Juventus have beaten both Classico teams and um, confirm Italy's dominance over the trophy, for this season at least. But Neved wouldn't be there at the tournament because he picked up yellow cards um, and that rule is just ridiculous. Um, there's, no, there's no analysis to be in, in store for that one. It's, the rule is archaic, mental. Um, Nedved is ruled out because of a yellow card, obviously, that claimed the finals for the likes of Branislav Ivanovic going forward, claimed sort of victims of Roy Keane and Paul Scholes in 1999, robbed Pavel Nedved of the Champions League final. And as a result, we've got... AC Milan, Juventus, in a highly tactical, to put it nicely, game in the final at Old Trafford. Some might say boring. Um, it's nil-nil after 120 minutes. I do believe that Pavel Nedved, had he been on the pitch, might have unlocked that Milan defence. But Milan in the 2003 final and their defensive priorities, the way that they'd gone through the tournament, the one nil in their way through group phases, the away goals win over their housemates into Milan it's a different way to play football, of course, certainly. And, and no better, no worse a way to play football um, than playing hyper-fluid, tiki-taka, that style of uh, football. But we uh, digress. We go to the penalty shootout. And the the misses are from David Trezeguet, Marcelo Zalajeta, who was the hero in the quarterfinals, misses his kick. But of course, thanks to Kaka Kaladze and um, Clarence Sadoff, it's one them they're missing their kicks as well. It's one one after three each. Um, Italian teams notoriously bad in shootouts, of course, coming from an Englishman in twenty twenty two, and the fact that Italy have beaten England twice, um, it just shows the the pecking order really of, <laughs> of uh, penalty shootout nations. With Germany obviously at the top, Italy just above England. I'd say England are probably one of the worst. Uh, maybe factor in Spain there, uh, but they did have a couple of wins in their heyday, didn't they, in the mid-2000s, early 2010s. And obviously we've got to mention Dida. Um, <laughs> he was essentially on the penalty spot for two of the kicks that he saves. Um, I don't know if... I'm sure the rule was still in, was still in play where he can't come off his line. But my God, he's on the six-yard line. He's closer to the six-yard line. <laughs> than the goal line. Obviously not enforced because not Dida's not alone in this, by the way. Buffon does it as well. Um, and obviously it would be Buffon who goes without the Champions League medal in his first Champions League final. Shevchenko scores the winning goal. Um, potentially one of the worst Champions League finals, but I think the higher up the food chain you get, World Cup finals especially, um, well, the 2018 one was fairly entertaining. The Champions League finals you get 2006, 2010, 2014, unless it's like some ridiculous incident like a headbutt or a kung fu kick as they had been in two of those finals finals like that tend to be quite boring and, and bitty because the 22 fearful players for the most part champions league finals in the past the past three really have been without incident one nil two nil and it's just been fairly uh players too scared to make a mistake and obviously when players do make a mistake um Loris Carrius, for example, um, sort of get hounded out of their job and almost profession. So you can see why players play with such amount of fear. I would say this is more tactical than fear, um, but uh, but there we are. I'd still go back and watch it. I'd still recommend you go back and watch it. The Champions League, though, will look very, very different. Milan will probably go into that tournament um, as favourites, as will Real Madrid, as always, as will 
freshly moneyed Chelsea. They're in the uh, the Champions League again, but we'll be back for more Champions League football and a brand new format as well, it must be said. The format that still lives on just about today in 2022. That obviously all started in 2003 and 2004, which is the season we'll be back with next Wednesday on the Sports Social Podcast Network and, of course, anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, for supporting the channel, and until then, Sidi. Podcast Network.